It's good to be here today. Uh, it is truly a blessing and a joy to be together with brethren, to worship together. We are thrilled to have visitors with us, both from the, the community and, and from elsewhere, and we want you to know that we're thankful for your presence and encouraged by you. Um, and it is truly a blessing that we are able to open God's Word, to read His thoughts, His mind, to come to understand who He is so that we can be more pleasing to Him each day. Many times the lessons that impact us most deeply are the lessons that we learn from our own mistakes. Uh, we, we often call it learning lessons the hard way. Uh, when, when we experience the, the heartache, the disappointment, uh, and the, the shame of such experiences, it has a way of embedding itself into our memories and our minds, impressing um, itself upon our hearts. But choosing to learn a lesson the hard way is never a wise choice. Uh, those who are truly wise will allow themselves to experience that same type of deep and lasting change without having to go through the consequences of uh, wrong actions. Truly wise people will learn from others' mistakes. And that's what I want us to try to do today. We want to learn from the mistakes of someone who learned too little too late the one-talent man. And while I think the one-talent man is somebody that we can all relate to at many times and in many ways, we see that the consequences of his folly and neglect are something that should shake us to our core. Jesus' parable here should grab our attention and cause us to do some serious soul-searching, some serious self-evaluation of our own stewardship of the blessings and abilities that God has given to us. And so in that mindset of trying to learn from his mistakes here, I want us to consider today what can we learn from the one talent man? What application can we make as we strive to be good stewards of God's blessings? And where I want to start is by talking about the blessings of one talent. Many times if we consider ourselves to be a one-talent man or a one-talent woman, we can feel very inadequate or very discouraged that we don't have a whole lot to offer, that we're of very little worth or value. Uh, and that's sometimes how we view the one-talent man in this parable. We, we read there in verse 15 about how the master gave to one five talents and then he gave to another two talents and then he gave one talent to this last man. We think, oh, he only has one talent. You know, you, you can almost see him get, getting his, his little coin and, and going home and putting it in his piggy bank and, and rallying back and forth just to remind himself how useless he is. You know, that, that, that's kind of the picture that, that at times in the past I've had of this. But when we look at this... Uh, in the correct way, we see a, a talent was not a coin. A talent, in fact, was a measurement of weight. It was the heaviest measure of weight in the Hebrew system. Estimates differ on how large a talent was, but most estimates are somewhere close to 100 pounds. Uh, Nelson says in his Bible dictionary that this a talent was intended to be the full weight that a single manual labor could effectively carry. 
And so we're not talking about the one talent man getting his little coin and taking it home. We're talking about him getting you know, near 100 pounds of treasure, whether it be silver or gold. If this is gold, my Bible has a note that says this might have been about equal to 15 years wages. If we translate that to uh, you know, modern median income, we're talking about well over $500,000. You know, imagine having that type of wealth and saying, well, I'm, I'm just a one-talent man. You know, that, that would be me, like me saying, well, I'm not quite a millionaire. I, I just really don't have a lot to offer. No, this man with one talent is abundantly blessed. And I think sometimes when we view ourselves as, as a one-talent man or a one-talent woman, we can get discouraged, we can look down on, on what we have been entrusted with the abilities, the resources, the opportunities that we have. But the, the lesson that we should get from this parable is not that, well, some of us just don't have a lot to offer. No, in fact, each and every one of us is abundantly blessed. We have an abundance of abilities and opportunities and resources that we can use for the Lord. We have countless blessings that we should be thankful for. Um, that we can use in serving the Lord. And we need to recognize that. We need to appreciate that. I've heard it said before, if you are still breathing, there is more right with you than there is wrong with you. Uh, each and every one of us here woke up this morning. That is a blessing. We, we are breathing air in and out of our lungs. Each and every one of us has 24 hours in a day to use for the Lord. Uh, and I would say most of us here uh, have, not, uh, have not gone 24 hours without a meal. Um, most of us have air conditioning, running water. We had some type of transportation that brought us here. We are abundantly blessed. We have been entrusted with many blessings that God intends for us to use in his service and for his glory. Even the least fortunate among us are abundantly blessed and have much to offer in service to God. And acknowledging the value of those abilities and those opportunities and resources is part of acknowledging uh, the goodness of the God who created us. And despising those abilities is really despising the God who gave us that gift. When we look down on what we are capable of doing or with the blessings that we have, we are really looking down on the God who entrusted us with those things. We need to be thankful and to view our one talent uh, as having the value that it does have, the value that God has gifted to us. Exodus chapter 4, you may remember Moses when he was commissioned by God to go to Pharaoh, to tell uh, Pharaoh to let his people go. And Moses is very hesitant. Moses at this point uh, views himself maybe as a, a one-talent man. He, he's not the kind of person that, that is equipped for a work like that. In Exodus 4, if we start in verse 10, it says, Moses, responding to the Lord at the burning bush, says, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in times past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Verse 11, The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, uh, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. 
you know, we might think that it is just being modest when we look disparagingly upon our own abilities. Well, I, I don't have much to offer. I, I'm not very eloquent. I, 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 God can't use me in that way. Here, God's response is, who made man's mouth? You're, you're not just talking about yourself there. You're talking about how I made you. I'm the one who gave you that ability. And notice what he says here as well. He says, or who makes him mute or deaf, or seeing, or blind. That, that, that seems like an odd statement to me. You know, many times when we think of, of maybe handicaps or, or hardships that we go through, we say, well, that's not God. That, that's the devil causing those things to happen. And certainly in God's original design of man, he, he didn't create us with those limitations. But in today's world, in, in a world that sin is, God allows certain people to, to be blind, to be deaf, to be mute, and that is part of his plan. God allows that for, for his glory. It's not that God somehow just made a mistake on somebody. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. And God has a use for every individual, no matter how much I may feel like I fall far behind others who have other abilities far above mine, God has a purpose. And God has blessed me abundantly with abilities that I can use for the Lord. He made me just the way I am, limitations and all, for his glory. And so I need not look disparagingly upon my limitations on whatever they may be. I need to be thankful for what God has blessed me with. James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Brethren, God made me, and he didn't make me... Uh, Junk. He, he didn't make me of, of little value or a little worth. God made me to be valuable. And God gave me abilities and God gave me resources that I can use in his service. And I need to be abundantly thankful for those things. No matter how I feel like I might compare to those around me. We are valuable in God's eyes. We have a unique purpose in God's eyes. Uh, no matter how much ability we may feel that we have. But when we recognize the extent of the blessings that we have been given, we also recognize the responsibilities that have been entrusted to us. Here in the parable in verse 14, we see that the master entrusts his own possessions to these stewards. These are not their own possessions by right. These are not things that, that they um, have a, a right over or authority over to do with however they please. These are the master's possessions. And he is simply entrusting them in the hands of his workers. Our abilities, our resources, our opportunities are really not our own. They're not our own to use however we please or however, uh, you know, seems best to us to spend them on our own enjoyment. They are the possessions of God, our master, and they have been entrusted to our care that we might use them on his behalf. 
that we might use them for his service and for his glory. We are just stewards of the things that we have been given in this life. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11 uses this word stewards. It says there in verse 10, as each of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our strength, our abilities, our, our words are not our own. They are to be the Lord's. And we are to give credit to the Lord. They aren't testaments to our own greatness. They are testaments to the power and grace of the God whom we serve. And notice that phrase, stewards of the manifold grace of God. What what does manifold grace mean? It means uh, abundant. It means many-faceted, many-sided grace. God's grace is so abundant, so manifold, that that no one person can, can hold all of it, can even hold the half of it. And so what God has done is he has taken his manifold, his abundant grace, and he has entrusted pieces of it to each individual. And my abilities, what I have, the blessings that I'm able to use in God's service are are my piece of God's grace that I have been entrusted with, that I am a steward of. How am I going to treat that, that piece of God's grace that he's given to me? That piece of his possessions that he has entrusted to my care. I'm going to treasure it. This is the master's. I want to use it for him. I want to use it for his glory because it was his to begin with. And so I need not to despise that one talent, that gift of God's grace. I need to recognize its value and recognize the responsibility that I then have in using it. And we each have our own unique stewardship. As God's grace is manifold and and many-faceted, we each have a different role, a different gift to use in his service. And this is spoken of many times throughout the scripture. Romans chapter 12 says in verse 6, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. He goes on, it says, If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We're not all going to have the same role. God didn't intend for it to be that way. We don't all have the same gifts. God has given a variety of gifts to different people that we might use them in different ways to serve. That We might use them in different ways to do His work and to bring Him glory. Not everyone is going to be able to give as others may be more equipped to give. Not everyone is going to be able to to teach effectively as somebody else might be able to teach. But we each have a gift from the Lord. None of us have been looked over by the Lord. None of us have been forgotten. God has entrusted gifts to each and every one of us. Abilities, opportunities, resources that we have and that God expects us to use. And it is vital that we determine what our gifts are and that we use them effectively for the Lord. 
Ephesians chapter 4 and starting in verse 7 um, says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then down in Ephesians 4 verse 15 and 16, it describes how these different gifts are to be used effectively in the one body of the church. It says there in verse 15, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. How does the body function effectively? How does the body do its work? How does it grow how is it built up? This is by each individual part, by each joint, each muscle, each ligament, each tendon doing its role. And if all were an eye, 1 Corinthians 12 would tell us, then, then where is going to be the hearing? If all were hearing, then where would be the sight? We each have different gifts that we have been given. And I may look down at my gift and say, well, this, this is just not that important. No, I have a vital role to play. The way that the body grows is not by everybody doing the one work of the one member. The way that the body grows and that God is glorified is each and every member using the gifts that they have been entrusted for the glory of the Lord, for the furtherance of His kingdom and of His work. It doesn't matter if you are a five-talent man or if you are a one-talent man. You have been entrusted with a valuable piece of God's manifold grace. And you will give an account, I will give an account for how I choose to use that. And as we think about that responsibility, especially in the context of the one talent man, we recognize that there is great danger of one talent as well. There are some unique challenges that face the one talent worker. If we look here in Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 24 and 25, we get kind of a glimpse of the, the heart of this one talent man. What was going on in his mind uh, as he dealt with this one talent that he had been entrusted. Starting in verse 24, we read, And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground, see you have what is yours. What was going on in this one talent man's mind? We, we don't see him going out and spending this one talent. We, we don't see him going out and, and living, uh, you know, living it up on this money that he had been given. He, he doesn't waste the master's money. Well, he doesn't use it in the way it was intended to be used because he says he was afraid. You know, why, why do you think Jesus in this parable picked the one talent man to be the individual who acted in this way? You know, why, why wasn't it the two talent man who buried his talents? Why, why wasn't it the five talent man who, who buried his talents? I think in the parable, Picking out the one talent man as the one who acts in this way is showing us that, that those of us who maybe have a lower view of, of what we are capable of doing, a lower view of, of what we have been entrusted with, are more prone to feeling like, well, I, I just don't have much to offer. You know, I, I'm, I'm probably better off just not, not even trying. I think that's a temptation for the one talent 
individuals. Uh, a bigger temptation um, to be afraid of using what we've been given, to be afraid of failure. That I, I'm just going to try and it's not going to work and I would have been better off if I hadn't even tried it in the first place. But the master here, when hearing the one-talent man give this explanation, uh, does not validate his fears. He doesn't sympathize with his fears here. If we read in verse 26, it says, But the master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here, this wasn't just a matter of uh, you know, some valid fear that this one-talent man had. I think the fear is the evidence of, of a heart problem. He calls him a wicked and lazy slave. I think sometimes fear is a convincing excuse for laziness. Consider Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 13 for a moment. Here we read, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside, I will be killed in the streets. What, what's being said there? The sluggard here is, is the lazy individual, uh, the one who, who doesn't want to work. And how does he justify not going out and working? He says, well, there's a lion out in the streets. I, I'm, I'm going to be mauled down. I, I'm going to stay here in my house where it's safe. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to go out to work today. And yet, Proverbs tells us these are the words of the sluggard. Satan can often use fear to lull us into laziness and to keep us from doing the work that God has entrusted us to do. You know, we might say, I, I just don't know if I can handle that right now. What, what if it's too much for me? What if I fail? What if others look down on me? What if others treat me the wrong way? And if things don't go well, then I'll just get more discouraged. I'll be in a worse place than I was to begin with. I may be better off playing it safe on this one and staying right here where I'm comfortable, where I'm safe. But God tells us those are the words of the sluggard. Consider here in Matthew 25, in verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. We know what the five-talent man and the two-talent man were doing for, for this long time, this span of, of presumably years. What is the one-talent man doing this entire time? He's not working. He's too afraid to work. And presumably he's really sitting around doing nothing. In today's society, we might say he was you know, scrolling through Facebook and binge-watching Netflix while, while these other guys are out there using the talents they had been entrusted with. Here we see fear is not a legitimate excuse. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8 says, But for the cowardly and unbelieving, 
and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice what tops the list there. The cowardly and the unbelieving. And I think those two really go hand in hand. Many times we are afraid of using what God has given us because we lack the faith and the belief that he desires of us. Our fear is often an evidence of a lack of faith. God is there urging us to, to like Peter, step out of the boat and walk on the, the stormy deep. And yet we're holding to the boat tightly and saying, no, I can't do that. No, God. I'm not able to do that. Well, where is our faith lying? Is our faith in the boat? Is our faith in ourselves? Or is our faith in our Savior who is calling us to go out and to use what we have been given for his glory? Gary Henry says, where there is no real risk, faith is no real virtue. I think that's a powerful concept. Faith in God is not safe and is not comfortable. Faith means trusting God through the challenges, stepping outside of our comfort zone, doing those things that God alone can empower us to do. Brethren, faith is greater than fear. Love is greater than fear. When fear is our motivation, when fear is what is ruling our minds, we're going to be paralyzed. We're not going to use what God has given us. When faith is ruling our lives, when love is leading us, we're going to get out and we're going to use what God has given us for others and for his glory. And like this one talent man, we may feel like, well, if I go out and I use it, you know, that's risky. I might lose it. I might not have any talent when he comes back. I think sometimes we feel like if, if we use what God has given us, it may all be spent up. But God's gifts do not perish with the using. God's gifts, in fact, grow and expand the more that we employ them. Consider Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. We read, There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. You know, if, if the seed stays in the bag, there's no way you're going to ever have a crop. What do you have to do to get the crop to, to bear fruit? You have to go out and you have to throw that seed. Well, what if it doesn't come up? Then I don't have any seed in my barn to begin with. Well, that's how it works. And we have to trust that God is going to cause the increase, that God is going to bring the growth. I have to go out and I have to be spent for the Lord. I have to empty myself in service to him, trusting that he and he alone is able to fill me back up. But if I refuse to pour myself out, if I refuse to use myself in that way, then he's not going to be able to fill me back up. I, I'm hoarding what he has given me. I don't want to use it. I don't want to risk it. I'm keeping myself from receiving his blessing. It's only when I empty myself in service that he is able to fill me back up. We're, it's like we you know, have a, a little candle, a little flame, and God wants us to go out and, and to light other people's flames, but, but we're afraid that if we go out that the wind might extinguish us, and so we're going to hide back here 
and we're not going to use it until eventually that flame is certain to go out. God has called us to go out and to stir up others, to serve others, to pass on the light that he has given us, to use the talents that have been entrusted to us. Are we one who scatters? Or are we one who withholds? Am I willing to pour out myself in service to the Lord? Am I willing to reach out and stir up others' flames? Or am I going to hold back in fear? Because I'm afraid what might occur if I do go out in bold faith and use what God has given me. And we may think, well, you know, playing it safe is not that big a deal, is it? The passage that we read today, James 4, we didn't read today. We almost did. <laughs> James 4 and verse 17 says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Here, as we already said, this one-talent man doesn't go out and use his master's talent in sinful ways. He doesn't go out and waste it on riotous living. And yet, we see he is severely punished because he refused to use it how it needed to be used. You know, there's nothing wrong with taking time for ourselves. At times, and I, I don't want to give the wrong impression here. There is nothing wrong with taking time of relaxation and rest to recharge our battery. Um, you know, we see God made our bodies with a need for sleep. Why did He do that? He wouldn't have had to if He didn't want to, right? But He made our bodies with a need for sleep and to recharge, to recognize our dependence, to recognize that we are weak. He made the sun to go down in the evening, to have a time of darkness. But why didn't he just make it light out all the time? Well, you know, naturally, there is a time where we are intended to sleep and to rest. He made the Sabbath day for the Jews, a day in which they were intended to rest. And even Jesus, we see himself withdrawing with his disciples at times to rest. To recharge. There's nothing wrong with resting. There's nothing wrong with relaxing. But from a Christian's perspective, that is a means toward an end, not an end within itself. We have times where we can rest and relax, enjoy blessings that God has given us, that we might be recharged, that we might be ready to go back out into work. And so we need to make sure that this verse doesn't describe us, that we don't know what we need to be doing, know the work that God would have us do, and be holding back what is rightfully his. And so we have a great responsibility, and as one talent, individuals who may be discouraged at times, who may be fearful, uh, there's a great danger that we don't walk out in faith, that we don't let fear, Faith rule our lives, but we let fear rule our lives. But with this corresponding danger is also a great potential. If we are willing to walk out in faith, if we are willing to use what God has given us, he can use that one talent in amazing ways for his glory. Those who used their talents here in Matthew 25 
gained more talents. You know, he started as a five-talent man, but he didn't end as a five-talent man, did he? The two-talent man started with two talents, but he didn't end with two talents, did he? And if that one-talent man had used what God had given him, I think we can guess what would have happened. Here, those who used their talents gained more. And in verse 29, the master even says this. He says, for to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. When we use what God has given us, he's going to entrust us with more. And what reward did these, uh, fi- this five-talent and two-talent man receive? Notice there, verse 21, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. When we use what God has given us, God can expand our talents and our abilities. And I think we understand this concept when it comes to athletes or musicians or really any field of expertise. Uh, you know, you, you think about somebody like Michael Jordan or LeBron James. They, they, they weren't born being, you know, the, the greatest basketball star of their generation. How did they become that way? They might have had some natural ability. I'm sure they had some natural ability to begin with, but they used it. And day in and day out, they used that ability and they practiced. And rarely did a day go by that they didn't pick up a basketball. But what if they decided that they were going to go a couple weeks without picking up a basketball? And maybe a month or two, maybe a couple years before they touch another basketball. You think they pick up that basketball after two years and they're going to be the same player that they were before? No, we we call that getting rusty. And when we don't use what God has given us, what we don't use, we are certain to lose. That's what we see with this one talent man. And so this holds true in our spiritual lives as well. We need to practice serving. We need to practice giving. We need to practice hospitality and devotion and Bible study and prayer. When we get out of that habit and we stop doing those things, it becomes that much harder to do them later on. We need to be using what God has given us. We need to practice love and compassion and humility and gentleness. We need to be practicing being swift to hear and slow to speak. When we stop practicing those things, we can lose what uh, training we had received in it. We need to allow God to use those things in our life from day to day to help us grow, to expand our talents, to be more equipped for his service and for his glory. The more we use the talents God has given us, the more he will entrust us. The more we neglect what he has given us, the less equipped we will be in the future. If we're not using the one talent God has given us, we cannot deceive ourselves into thinking that we would use our talents if he gave us more. I think sometimes we think, well, if I were so-and-so, well, then I would work diligently for the Lord. You know, if I had that kind of ability, if I had those kind of resources, um, you know, if, if, if I had that much money, then I would be generous. If I had that much time on my hands, well, then certainly I would use it for the Lord. If I had those kind of abilities, then I would be out there 
teaching my neighbors. That's not what God says. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 10, it says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. It doesn't matter how small of a role I feel that I have been entrusted with. I need to be faithful in what is little so that my talents might increase and God will see it fit to entrust me with greater riches unto his glory. If I'm not using what God has given me in the here and now, then I can't deceive myself into thinking that I would use more if he gave it to me. And we recognize that some limitations may never go away. Just because I use the talent that I've received doesn't mean um, that suddenly all, all the things that are holding me back are going to be removed. And yet, although I may never be a five-talent man, uh, that's okay. I need to use whatever I've been given for God's glory. Second Corinthians chapter 12, we see a limitation that Paul struggled with, what he calls his thorn in the flesh. And whatever this was, he felt that it was a hindrance to his work for the Lord, and he begged him three times to remove this ailment from him. But what does God say? God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul's response, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, in Paul's limited understanding, he felt like he would be able to give more glory to the Lord if this limitation were taken away from him. And yet God knew that Paul was going to be able to give him more glory if that limitation stayed in place. I need to trust that whatever limitations that I have, God can use them for his glory. And God's power can be reflected through my weakness. Because it's not me, it's not my abilities, it's that God is using me. I need to be content with weaknesses, to rejoice in my weaknesses if God sees fit to give them to me, knowing that he can be glorified despite and even in my limitations. Sewell Hall, in his book Hallmarks, tells a story about a lady that I think any of us would acknowledge uh, might fall into the category of a, a one-talent individual. But it's a powerful story about how God can use even the one-talent individual for his glory. And I want to read some excerpts from it. It's going to be a little bit of a longer reading, but I think it'll be powerful. Uh, it's been powerful for me, and I trust that it will be for you as well. Sewell Hall writes, all Christians want to bring the lost to Christ, but each of us has some handicap which causes us to feel limited in our ability to do so. Actually, our most debilitating handicap is a lack of zeal. Once zeal is stirred, love will find a way to overcome all obstacles. Take June McNeese as an example. 
Just four years ago, June held a responsible position with a Tennessee-based company with manufactured automobile hoses. She was, however, experiencing considerable throat trouble, and the problem grew steadily worse, slurring her speech until she could no longer function in the office. Doctors discovered that she had the dreaded amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, more popularly known as ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. Rapidly, it began affecting other parts of her body until all of her limbs were paralyzed. Her speech continued to deteriorate until now only a constant companion can understand anything she says, and then only when she uses the simplest words. Often she must spell out very slowly what she is trying to say. Meanwhile, her sparkling eyes and the few words she is able to get across reveal a mind that is still keen and active. If ever anyone would be excused from personal evangelism, it would be June. Without use of her lower limbs, she cannot go on her own. Without her arms and hands, she cannot write. And with her damaged speech mechanism, she cannot talk. But June does not look for an excuse. She looks for a way. When a nurse was employed, one stipulation was that she should take June to worship just as long as possible. Patty, the nurse who was chosen, found the services strange and the sermons very different from what she was accustomed to in her own religious experience. Soon she was asking questions which June found very difficult to answer with the communication problem. To add to the frustration, Patty could never seem to remember her questions when Joel Olson, a gospel preacher, came to visit. Somehow June had to find a way to get those questions answered, either by herself or by Joe. But all she had to work with were her neck muscles. Then an idea, an electric typewriter. One was borrowed to see if she could use it. Her father cut a wooden dowel rod and placed a rubber tip on one end. Placing the other end of the rod between her teeth, June happily began typing some answers for Patty and typing questions for Joe when he came. Little by little, the truth, adorned by the life of her cheerful patient, did its work. Patty was baptized into Christ. I visited June recently in her Tennessee home. I did not understand a single word she said. But at her usual speed of five words per minute, she typed a message for me, perfectly capitalized and intended. Dear Brother Hall, I am very glad you came to see me this afternoon. June, the privilege was mine. The memory of your cheerful attitude and zeal for the Lord has made me more grateful for my health and all the more determined to use all of my faculties to communicate his gospel to those who are lost. I struggled to read that because it puts me to shame. Here's somebody so limited. They can't walk, they can't speak, they can't write. And yet they had a passion for the Lord to do his work, to shine his light. I can walk, I can talk, I can type not at five words per minute, I can type at 60 words per minute. And yet so many times I put less than half the effort that June did into spreading the gospel. Brethren, we are all abundantly blessed. And God has entrusted us with gifts that we can use to his service and to his glory. And we will be held accountable for how we have used those gifts. I want to be a better steward for the Lord. And I want you all to help me be a better steward. And I hope that we can help each other using the gifts that God has given us for his glory.
Maybe you are convicted today that you have been burying your talents in the ground, that you're not using the gifts that God has given you, that you've been paralyzed by fear and that you haven't been walking by faith. But brethren, God is patient and gracious, and he is willing to help us grow. He's willing to help us use the blessings that he has entrusted with us for his glory. Choose faith today. Choose to let love lead you today, not fear. If there's anything that we can do to help you in that regard, to be the steward that God wants you to be, then we want to do it. We're a family here to help each other grow, to build each other up, to encourage each other, uh, to do the work that God has entrusted to each and every one of us. If there's someone here who is convicted and recognizes that they need to make a change, make that change now. And if it is a change of a public nature, if uh, you want to ask for the prayers of these brethren here, uh, we want to pray for you. We want to support you in that. And if you have recognized today that, that you have been wasting what God has given you and that you haven't devoted your life to him in the first place, if you need to have your sins washed away in baptism to genuinely make the commitment of burying your old man of sin, be raised to walk a new life. We want to help you in that. If you're ready to make that commitment, to make some public change, we ask that you'll let us know at this time as we sing.